All right. Good morning, Journey. How are you? Hey, thank you guys for choosing to worship with us today. If you're online, thank you guys also. And we are uh, continuing our series, Winning the Battle of the Mind. In fact, today we're just going into part five of that series. And I hope you've been here for parts of those. We know that maybe you're not able to be here week in and week out. But God's been doing some tremendous things uh, through the series. Pastor Mike has done an incredible job walking us through a really tough subject. And I don't know about you guys, but I've learned a lot just walking through this series, and I think any of us can agree that we fight battles in our mind all of the time, right? It's something that we constantly do. In fact, one thing that, that I'm, I'm uh, guilty of, and maybe you are too, is I will have conversations in my head with other people that aren't there. And I don't mean in like a weird, I should be committed way. I mean, like I will, I will think through an issue and I will begin to determine what the other person is going to say. And 99% of the time, that's not what they say, right? It's a battle going on in the mind. You should just go have the conversation and let it go, go where it may. But we fight those battles all the time. And ultimately what we're discovering is that our thoughts shape our future. In fact, the, the series is built on two overarching principles. And the first one has been this. We shared this week in and week out in some way, shape, or form, and it's this, that our life is consistently trending in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so our life is consistently trending in that direction. Whatever it is you spend the most time thinking about, your life is generally trending in that direction. Now, this can be a very uplifting or very scary thought, right? That that the things that I think about the most are the things that I'm going to put action to. And generally, we see it work this way. There's a spiral that kind of begins to spin, and our thoughts will go out of control, if you will, and they begin to control us instead of us controlling them. And it generally works this way, as our emotions will lead us to a thought. And so maybe we're having a bad day, or maybe we're just having a bad moment, and there's an emotion that goes along with that. Maybe that emotion is anger, and we get angry at the situation that we're in. Maybe that emotion is despair, and we become kind of downcast, and we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it even walks into depression, but there's an emotion that starts, and it begins affecting our thoughts. And so our emotion will lead to our thoughts. I'm angry at the people that I work with, right? And so now I'm thinking negative thoughts about them. I'm thinking, man, they don't know how angry I am right now. And you know what? I'm glad I don't do as bad a job as Joe does over here because, man alive, if I work that bad, I don't even know why I'd show up, right? And it just starts going out of control, one thought after another. And eventually, I'm going to give these people a piece of my mind. And what happens is our thoughts lead to actions, right? You think about it enough. You think about telling old Joe off enough. Eventually, it's going to happen, right? Your thoughts are going to eventually lead to you doing something. And so you're thinking, Man, I just really don't like working here. These people are driving me nuts and insane, and I don't want to be here anymore. And eventually, action goes to those thoughts. And you tell everybody that you don't want to work here anymore. I don't want to be here. And then we deal with the consequences of our actions, right? You tell everybody you don't want to work there anymore. Boss overhears you. All of a sudden, you don't work there anymore, right? Hey, dream come true. You don't have to work here. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with those consequences, and dealing with the consequences leads to what? More emotions which then lead to thoughts, which then lead to actions, which then lead to emotions, which lead to thoughts, which lead to actions. And we're dealing with it over and over and over, and it's a spiral that is never-ending. And so what we want to look at today is, is how do you stop that spiral? How is it that you stop it? We know that our thoughts are leading us uh, into the parts of life that we're walking through, and ultimately our strongest thoughts are trending our, our, our life is trending in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So how is it we stop that spiral and we start trending in the right direction? So we're going to walk through a little bit of that this morning. The second thing we know is this, is that there is hope. 
there is hope. And so if you've learned nothing throughout this series, I hope you've learned these two things, that your life is trending in the direction of your strongest thoughts, and there's hope to start trending those in the right direction. We actually have a choice on what we think on. We don't have to allow our emotions to determine what we think on. In fact, we can switch that around, and we we can begin to allow truth to determine what it is that we focus on. In fact, here's what the Bible says in Philippians. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. In other words, you have a choice of what you're fixing your thoughts on. And Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, here's what I want you to fix your thoughts on. So focus on these things. Put your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We have a choice of what we think about. And here are the things that we should be thinking about. Paul says, hey, brothers and sisters, those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to fix your thoughts on what's true, on what's honorable, on what's right, on what's pure and lovely and admirable and excellent. These are the things that you should be choosing to think about. And when those are the things that we're choosing to think about, that's the direction that our life is heading, right? He's saying, look, 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 control your thoughts, or your thoughts will control you. And so what we're going to choose to do as followers of Jesus is we are going to fix our thoughts on what is true. We're going to fix our thoughts on what is true because our emotions lie to us, don't they? They, they tell us things that are not true. And we began believing the lies that we've walked through over the last several weeks. We began believing le- lies like, hey, I don't matter. Right? I don't matter. I'm all alone. I can't do this. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm not going to make it. We start buying into any lie that creates doubts in us. And so we're going to remove that. And we're going to begin focusing on what is true. And so I believe that the passage in Psalms that we're going to look at today gives us four things that we can focus on uh, to to stop the spiral, if you will, and to focus on what's true. And so here's the verse we're going to be looking at. It's found in the middle, or right toward the end of Psalm 23. It's a passage probably you all are very familiar with. If you've been to a funeral, there's a really good chance that you've heard this passage. If you grew up in church, you probably learned it in Sunday school, but it's something we become really familiar with almost to the point that it loses its effectiveness in our life. So I hope we rediscover it today. And the verse says this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Look, notice a few things right off the bat. It's God who prepares the table and he prepares it for me. And so step one, if you're going to stop the spiral, here it is. You're going to accept the truth that God has prepared a meal for you. That God has prepared a meal for you. Now, to the prophet Jeremiah, he said this. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? But God didn't just have plans for the prophet Jeremiah. He has plans for your life also. There's a meal, if you will. There's a life that God has prepared for you. There's something that he desires for you to accomplish and something he desires for you to live out. The Bible literally says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. How many of you guys would admit that there's, there's a few things that are just a little off about you? Come on, don't don't be shy. Listen, if if they're not raising their hand, you point to them. I'm kidding. Don't don't no, no we're not fighting in here today. Look, we're all very unique, right? We're unique people. There there are different things about us. The Bible tells us that God created those things on purpose, and He wants to use those things for something very specific. In other words, there's a meal, there's a life 
that he's placed before you, but you have to accept that. You have to say, you know what, that's true. I believe that God has created me, that he has prepared a meal for me, that it's not just for everybody else, but he's created something specifically for me. When Erica, my wife and I, got married, it was in a difficult time uh, in her life. And I don't mean difficult because she married me. That, that's, that's a whole other difficult, that's a whole other sermon. We'll come back to that some point in the fall, right? Whole nother, whole nother message. But she was finishing up school when we got married, and so there were times that, that her weekends went like this. She would uh, get up at about 4.30 in the morning. She would go do clinicals at the school that she was at. She would leave there around 4, and then she would go to her weekend job at, at a local hospital, and she would work there all night, and she would get home at about 7 o'clock in the morning. So it's just kind of a stressful period. Live that weekend, you wake up, and then you go to work or to school again on Monday, right? So it's just a little bit of a stressful time. And at the same time, uh, my mom was cooking very well. And so my mom used to cook a, a lot, and all of us kids moved out, and she quit. I don't know what it's about, but it just ended somewhere around that time frame. But there was a recipe that had been passed down generations in my family. Y'all, y'all have those, right? It's just kind of passed down. It probably came off of a box somewhere, a flower that they just don't make anymore. And so that's like world famous. This is my grandmother's world famous pound cake is what it was. For us, And so my great-grandmother made it, and she passed it down to my grandmother, or to my aunt, who passed it to my grandmother, who passed it on to my mom, and it was a vanilla pound cake. And you, you can see how healthy that might be, but it was very, very good, right? When you're eating pound cake, you don't really care. It was amazing. And so we got her to make it any time we could, and at some point, my mom decided to change the vanilla to chocolate, and what was good went to extraordinary. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like now, it's like any time you can make this... You make it. And so there were days my wife would be leaving school. She would call my mom and she would go, hey, Miss Julie, um, man, it's been it's been a long few days. And my mom would go, I'm making a cake for you right right there. I'm making a cake for you. And we would go to my mom's house. And it was clear when we got there that the cake was not for Daniel. Right. This is not your cake, Daniel. I made this cake for Erica and Erica can do whatever she wants to do with this cake. And if she desires to share it, she'll share it with you. If she don't, guess who's not getting any today, right? You're just not getting any cake. But it is hers. It is uniquely for her. Look, it's a funny illustration, but I want you to see it, right? God has created something uniquely for you. It doesn't say that, Lord, you prepare the table for everyone, but you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. It is specifically for you, And if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that the promises of God are for everyone but us. But God would remind you today that this is for you, that he has prepared a meal, he has prepared a table specifically for you. And if you're going to stop the spiral of bad thoughts and bad emotions in your life, it's going to begin with accepting the truth that God has prepared something specifically for you, that it's for you. And in fact, jot it down, it's unique for you. It's unique for you. We all enjoy different things, right? Let's say five of us decide at the end of the service today we're going to go grab a meal together and we load up in a car and we go to a restaurant. We're probably all five going to order something different, right? Because we have unique taste and we have unique flavors. We've already said that we're very unique people. And so God's plan and God's meal, his table for you is very unique also. But what we tend to do is we want to replace God's meal for what we desire. 
right? God has a meal for you. It's something that he's created for you. It's probably not the same thing that you desire for yourself. In fact, it's probably a little bit different. And you can jot this down. Know this from the beginning. I don't want you to miss this. This is a very deep truth. God's plans are better than yours, (laughs) right? You got some. You have some plans for yourself and you have plans for your life. And we push students to think about this, right? What is it that you want to accomplish? What are the goals that you desire for your life? What is it that you're aiming for? And I would say nine times out of ten, God generally has something different for you. There's something else that he has for you other than the things that you just naturally desire. And so if we're not careful, we begin to substitute the best for something that's kind of good. For instance, if I go to a restaurant, you're not going to see broccoli on my plate. If you do, it's an accident, or they just put it on there as a joke, right? You're not going to see it. I don't even know who decided in the first place that man should eat broccoli. It's the worst thing that I've ever put in my mouth. It's horrible. Why would you want to digest that? And so you're not going to see that on my plate. In fact, if it was just up to me and I said, all I'm going to eat is what I want, and you walked by and you saw my plate, you would probably see a piece of steak or a piece of chicken and a lot of dessert. Like, that's what you would see. You'd see like a huge, maybe apple pie or apple crumble. You see a little bit of steak and you go, Daniel is going to kill himself. That, that is what's going to happen. You're going to eat yourself into oblivion. It's not going to work too well. That's my desire. But listen, God has created us to need something more than what we desire, right? There's something better out there than just what you desire. And I would say this is that God has plans for you and they're better than the things you're spending your life chasing after. That they're better. That his plans for you are better than what you spend your time and your energy and your thoughts focusing on. So we're going to choose that God has a plan. And we're going to accept the fact that God's plan for us is better than a plan that we have for ourselves. And guess what? When we accept that fact, when difficult times come, we're able to rest in the truth that we know God is still bringing about something good in our life. Because of this, John 10.10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Hey, let me ask you a question. What are the things you've been chasing that you think will bring satisfaction in your life are actually only bringing chaos and turmoil? What are the things you're spending your life chasing after actually aren't the things that Jesus desires to put in your life that will give you a rich and a satisfying life. So if we're going to stop the spiral, it starts with us going, you know what, Lord, I do believe that you've prepared a table. And it's just for me. It's very unique for me. And it's better than anything that I could ever desire for myself. And then look here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to choose to sit at the table. Because it's one thing to know it. Right? It's one thing to go, you know what, God does have a plan and a purpose for my life. It's another thing to sit down and to begin dining at the table that God has prepared for you, to actually begin living that out on a daily basis. And so we're going to believe that this is for us. And we're going to replace the doubt that it's for everyone else and not for me with the truth that we actually are a child of God, that this is a table for me and it's a table that I can sit at. I don't know about you guys, but... When I go back home to my parents' house, I'm 38 years old now, 39 years old, somewhere. I don't know. I ask my wife how old I am. I forget, right? I I think I'm 39. That's how old I am. When I go back to my parents' house that I hadn't lived in in 20 years, I can still just walk in the door, right? I I don't have to knock. I don't have to 
ring the doorbell. If they know I'm coming, I literally just open the door and I walk in. And I'm able to do that not because I'm weird. I'm able to do that because I'm a son, right? They're my parents. I can still walk in there. I'm a child of theirs. And they would still say that when you walk in, anything you find is yours. I can literally go in the cupboard and go, you know what? That's a granola bar. I think I'm going to eat that without having to ask. It's there. Because I belong to them. You're a child of God. And because of that, you have the ability to sit at the table anytime you want to. But the choice is yours. You can choose to sit down and enjoy the life has for you, uh, the life that God has for you or not. But it is your, your choice. And Scripture says this. It says, see how very much our Father loves us. For He calls us His children. Again, don't miss that. That's what we're called. We're called children of God. And then... John, uh, he puts an exclamation point on it, if you will. He says, we're called children. And guess what? That's what we are. It's not just something that we're called, but all of this belongs to us also because he's our father. But the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. He's saying, hey, you are a child of God. The meal is for you that you can sit down at the table, but we often replace the truth that we're a child of God with the lies that the enemy would tell us. Lies like, absolutely, he has a plan and a purpose, but that's for somebody else, that's not for you. Yeah, he has a desire to give you a satisfying life, but man, look around you. That's not for you, that's for everyone else, that's for those other people. That's for the other, that's for the people maybe that walk closer to God, the people that, that are spiritual giants. That's, that's not for you. And we begin to buy into the lies and we back away from the table without knowing we're actually backing away from what's best for us. And look, jot this down, jot this down. Every lie, every single lie that we believe is a reflection of what we believe about God. Every single one of them. If we go, Lord, I believe that you're good, but I don't believe you're going to do good to me in this situation. And so I'm worried about the outcome of it. Then we really don't believe that God is good. But you see that? Every single lie. If we believe that we're worthless, but we also claim to believe that we're a treasure created by God, then the claim of we're a treasure, we actually don't believe. And we believe that God is capable of making something that's just junk. You see it? Every lie that we believe actually reflects our belief about who God is. But here's what we can do. We can capture those lies and we can force them into submission to what we know to be true about God. And we replace that with, I know I'm not alone because Jesus said, I'll be with you always. I know that I'm not worthless because God has called me valuable. I know I'm not unlovable because Jesus literally stretched out his arms and he died for me on that cross, not just for everyone else, but it was for me. And we began to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth that's at the table before us. And listen, don't you ever dare excuse some kind of self-deprivation as honesty. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't talk about yourself like that and then say, oh, I'm just being honest. I'm just keeping it real, or I'm just telling it the way that it is. I've just always been unlovable, or I've just always been weak, or I've never finished anything that I started, or I've never really lived with purpose, or I've never really accomplished anything. Those aren't truths. Those are lies. Those are lies straight from the enemy, and you capture those things, and you put them into submission. In fact, the Bible, again, reminds us that God loves us, and he loves every complexity about us. The psalmist said this, thank you. For making me so wonderfully complex. Look at the person next to you and go, you're a complex person. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
Would you guys not agree that we're complex people? Right? Those of you who have spouses, you know. Right? You know your spouse is a complex person. You've been learning things about them for years and years and years and years. And you will. Like, you will continue to learn things about one another because we're complex creatures. Your children, they're complex. They're really complex. My daughter's 11. About a year and a half, two years ago, I walked into the house and she was sitting there and she was crying. And I looked at her and I said, Madison, why are you crying? I was being compassionate. That's how I show compassion in my home. I said, why are you crying? And she goes, I don't know. And I went, well, I don't either. Right? I have no idea what's going on right now. It's super complex, and I don't know what to do with it. I have no idea. I grew up in a house full of boys. Nobody cried unless somebody got hit. Like That was the only thing that I don't know what's going on. You're super, super complex. And again, the Bible would remind you that God made you that way, that he knit you together, that he made you complex, that you are his workmanship. And because you are his kid and because he made you the way that he made you, you actually can sit down and enjoy the life that God has given you. And when you sit there, you'll discover that there's actually rest and peace at his table. And so here's how you actually sit at the table. I don't want to leave you wondering. The first thing is this, is you discover God's will. If you're actually going to sit down at the table that God has prepared for you, if you're going to live out the life that God has prepared you to live, you're going to actually sit down at the table. You're going to discover His will, and you will always discover His will in His Word. Right? We, we discover a lot of different ways. Sometimes God uses people to speak truth in our life. Sometimes we hear that. Sometimes it's a message, like from a platform. You come here on Sunday, and you hear a truth, and you begin to apply that to your life. But you will always, 100% of the time, discover God's will in His Word. So if you're going to actually sit down at the table He's prepared for you, you have to be in the Bible. you got to get in it. you got to spend time reading it. If you're going to know His will, you have to discover what it is that He desires and what it is that He's called you to do. That's why the psalmist said this in Psalm 105. He said, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet, and it's a light to my path. In other words, it directs me as to where I'm supposed to go. It's where I discover your will. So we're going to discover God's will, and then we're going to live it out. We're going to do it. We're actually going to live out God's will. We discover what it is He wants us to do, and now we're going to put it into action. And so I don't just know it, but I actually do it. How many of you guys know we're in a world where any amount of knowledge is at our fingertips, right? You can find anything you want. The other day, we're doing math homework, and I don't understand. I'm not real good at math anyway. I'm horrible at sixth-grade math because I don't understand it. And, and now they've changed it. I believe it's probably better the way that it is now, but I don't know how to do it. And so I just look at it, and I stare, and I go, I don't know what to do. And the other day, I got frustrated, and I just looked at my daughter and went, did your teacher forget Google exists? Like, you don't need to know this. Just Google it. Like, hey, here it is. Here's, here's the answer. And then something clicked in my head, and I went, Google Lens, right? You can do anything you want to with Google. It's a parenting hack. If you guys hadn't downloaded Google Lens yet, download it. Allow them to track you and know everything about you. It's worth it to solve the math problem. And so you, you pull it out. You just take a picture of the math problem. It gives you step-by-step step of what you're supposed to do. You still won't know why it's done, but at least when it goes back to school, it'll be done the right way, right? It's there. I don't, I don't understand it, but that's just the way that we know it. We can get anything we want. You can discover anything you want in a matter of seconds. You can do it. You can discover history. You can discover science. Listen, you can even discover theology, and most of us don't have a knowledge problem when it comes to knowing the will of God. We just have a doing problem. 
Right? We know it. We come to church. We experience. Maybe we go into small groups. Some of you guys will listen to a message today, and by the end of the week, you will have listened to three more, three podcasts. And so you know this. You have this huge influx of the Word of God into your life, and now you just have to live it out. You actually have to put it into practice. And if you're actually going to enjoy the life God created you for, it's going to require that. You can't just know what to do. You actually have to do it. That's why James said, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You can change those words around a little bit. In other words, if you know God's will and you don't do it, you're just making a fool of yourself. You know what's best. You know what you ought to be doing. He's saying, hey, just go do it. Just go do it. So if we're stopping the spiral, we're going to believe that God created a table just for us. We're going to choose to sit at it. And then while we're sitting there, we're going to avoid the distractions. How many of you know that when you're trying to live out God's will for your life, there's constant voices telling you you should be doing something else? All the time. Hey, you don't really want to do that. Like, it sounded good in the moment. And I know that's what God said, but wouldn't it be better? It's been going on since the Garden of Eden, hasn't it? Hey, did God really say that? Is that really what you want to do? Wouldn't it be better if you did whatever? Fill in the blank that that's how it's going to be better. And you guys know this. If you ever go out and eat, you know that two things can ruin a good meal quicker than any other. And that's bad company, and that's comparison to somebody else's meal. Right? Bad company. People speaking truth in our life that shouldn't be there. And so when we're sitting at the table, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to choose wisely who we allow to sit with us. Because the people that are sitting with us are the people that are speaking into our life. And the people speaking into our life plant thoughts into our head. And guess what our thoughts do? Our thoughts lead to actions. And our actions lead to consequences. And our consequences lead to emotions, which lead to actions. And so if we're going to stop the spiral, we're going to choose very carefully who we allow to speak into our life. That's why in Proverbs, the Bible says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, you're going to become like the people that you choose to surround yourself with. And so people speak into our lives, and ultimately, if this is true, then who we sit with shapes our future. If our thoughts determine our future, and who we sit with determines our thoughts, then ultimately, who you choose to do life with will determine your future. And so let me ask you, we're not going to camp out here long, who is surrounding you? Who's surrounding you in life? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, Do not be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. In other words, you're going to become like the people that you hang around. And so who are you hanging around? This is a very simple biblical concept. And actually, science has backed this up recently and shows that you are the average of your five closest friends. So think about who your five closest friends are. If you want to know what you're like, that's what you're like. You're like the people that you surround yourself with. The biblical principle is this, is you become who you hang around. So if you want to become uh, a better weightlifter, then guess what you do? You just hang around people that are good at weightlifting. You want to become better at handling finances, then you just hang out with people who are better at handling finances. You want to become a better follower of Christ, then you begin hanging out with people who are walking daily with Christ. That's what happens. And then they begin to shape who you are. That's why we're always going, hey, you need to be in a life group. Like you need to be around other people 
who are walking through life the way that you are, who have a relationship with Jesus, who, who can help you because you're going to become like those people. So we're going to choose wisely who sits at our table if we're going to avoid distractions, and then we're going to refuse to compare our life to someone else's. We're going to refuse to compare our life to someone else's. My wife and I went to dinner with a couple friends um, last night, and it was a good meal. This is a really good meal. And so we're sitting there, and my wife and her friend, they order uh, the same thing, and their meal comes out, and <clears throat> they're oohing and on over it. And then they set my meal down. We're still waiting on one other. So now we're oohing and on over my meal, and we're looking at it, and I'm looking at theirs, and I'm going, I'm really glad I ordered what I ordered, although, you know, it looks, looks kind of good, but I ordered what, what I wanted. And, and then I noticed about halfway through the meal that, that a fork is making its way across the table. Right? Have you guys ever experienced this? That I noticed fork coming across, and now all of a sudden my meal is our meal. Right? Have you guys lived that? We we have this thing. We we laugh about this as a couple because we've been married long enough. Laugh about it now. But when we go eat somewhere, there's always a conversation. My wife will go, and she's sitting over here, so I'm gonna look at you guys. My wife will always go, "Hey, do you want to share something?" And my response is always the same: "No, uh-uh." I want to share you. I'm going to order what I want, and if it's good, I want all of it, right? I don't want you to have any of it. If it's good, I want you to order what you want. I'm going to order what I want, and then I want it. This is mine. This is my plate, right? It's my meal, and I'm going to eat all of it, and I don't want to share it with you. But here's what we do often, isn't it? Is we'll, we'll get a taste of somebody else's meal, or we'll see it. Maybe even just a waiter walking by with a meal, and you look at somebody else's, and you go, man, I wonder what that was. And you begin to second-guess what you ordered. You go, man, I really wish I'd ordered that. Like, I know I ordered this chicken, but I didn't know the steak was going to look like that. And so, hey, do you want some? I'll give you some of this chicken. You give me some of that steak. And you're like, I don't know. Right? I don't want your meal. I want mine. I want what I ordered. But we begin to compare it to someone else's. You know what it does? It makes our meal worse. It does. And it's funny to think about in food, right? That's part of being married, I think. But it's not so funny in life that when you begin to compare your life to someone else's, it always makes your life taste worse. You got it? And don't miss this. Comparison is a trap. It's a trap. It looks better, but it's just grabbing you, and it's making you dissatisfied for the life that God has actually given you, and you're literally robbing yourself of the joy that you should and could be experiencing by comparing what you have in the life that you live to someone else's. And so if you're going to enjoy the meal at the table, you're going to refuse to compare your life to someone else's. Jesus dealt with this with the disciples. They're having a conversation. And Jesus is having a conversation with one disciple. And the picture you get if you're reading this passage is another, another disciple is kind of following behind. And the disciple that Jesus is talking to turns around and basically goes, What, are you, what about him? What are you going to do with him? What is his life going to be like, right? What's the table in front of him? And Jesus' response is this. He replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, just follow me. That's Jesus going, you worry about your own self, (laughs) right? You don't worry about him. Don't worry about what I want to do in his life, what blessings I want to give him, what gifts I want to give him, what call I want to place on his life. You focus on the call and the life that I've given you and refuse to compare it to someone else's. If you're going to sit at the table and stay at the table, 
And you're going to have to avoid the distractions that are around you. Listen, there will always be chaos in your life. There will always be voices calling you away from what God has called you to. There will always be temptation to compare what you've done in your life or what God has called in your life to someone else's. But you can choose to blot that out and you can choose not to be chaotic in the midst of chaos. And here's how you do it. When you're sitting at the table, it's great that God has prepared a meal for us. Right? That's, that's good news. It's good news that it's just for us, that it's something very unique, that God knew my gifts and he knew my talents and he knew my emotions. He knew all of it and he created something specifically for me. That's good. Right? It's good that we don't have to compare that to someone else's. But the best part of the meal is the fact that Jesus is there. And if we're going to be in the midst of chaos without being chaotic, and if we're going to stop the spiral in our life, then we're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to focus on Jesus. He's there. He's the best part of the meal. Listen, my meal last night was great. The best part of my meal was the company, right? It was the people we were with. And I love our friends, but the best part of the meal wasn't them. It was the fact that my wife was there, right? It's the company. It's the people that you're with. And let me tell you, at the table is the person of Jesus, and I think we confuse who he is. We grow up with all these images of who Jesus is. If you're like me, you grew up maybe going to a small Baptist church and there were pictures of Jesus all over the place and none of them were what I believe would be accurate. You're sitting in Sunday school and you're looking at Jesus with long blonde hair and blue eyes. <clears throat> Jesus grew up in the Middle East and so naturally he would have looked like someone who grew up in the Middle East, which would not be long blonde hair and blue eyes, right? That's a picture, but that's a physical picture of Jesus. But we also paint mental pictures of Jesus, don't we? And so we read Scripture, we kind of read it through that lens. And maybe to us, Jesus is all about grace and mercy. Maybe that's us, that he's always going to excuse everything that we do, and we're going to always be forgiven. On the other end of the spectrum, maybe we view everything about Jesus through the fact that he's coming back and he's going to judge, and everything is held in brimstone. It's all about judgment. And I would say that an accurate picture of Jesus is actually in the middle of those, that he is a God of judgment. One day he will come back, right? Thank God he will come back and he will judge the right from the wrong. But he is also a God of grace and he is a God of mercy and he is a powerful God. And there is absolutely nothing that he can accomplish. I think one of the most accurate pictures of Jesus is found in the book of Revelation. It's talking about when Jesus returns and it paints this picture of who he is and the power that he has. And this is the Jesus. Let me just remind you before we read it. This is the Jesus who is sitting at the table with you. The one who can accomplish anything. The one who is all-powerful. The one who spoke all of this into being is the same God who's sitting at the table with you. And the Bible says this about him. It says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True and in righteousness, <laughs> he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many uh, diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which it's called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which can strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury and the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord 
of lords. Listen, why would you ever want to sit at another table? Why would you ever want to sit at another table? This is the God who has invited you to sit down and to dine with him. There is nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't overcome. There's nothing he can't accomplish. And he's prepared a meal just for you. And he's invited you to come and to sit at his table. And so why would you ever want to sit at another table? Why would you ever want to believe the lie that it's better over here? Now, I know God's will is this, but just go do this. When the God of the universe is sitting at the table and is inviting you to sit with him. And you know what happens when you focus on him? A million other things begin to disappear. A.W. Tozier, his great theologian, time's gone by, he wrote this. He said, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, as we focus on him, a thousand problems are solved all at once. As we begin to focus on him, whatever problem you walked into this room with today is solved all at once as you begin to focus on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that that's what you've called us to. God, that you've called us to a life of purpose and of meaning, that you've called us to a satisfying life. As you said in John 10, 10, you came so that we could have life and so that we could have it to the full. We thank you for that. God, forgive us for trading what's real for what's fake. God, remind us that the best seat at the house, the best seat in the house, best seat in the world is at your table. It's sitting with you. And Lord, there's a meal that you've prepared specifically for each and every person in this room. And I want you to know, if you would, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You can't enjoy the meal if you don't know the Savior. So maybe you're here today and you're just checking this church stuff out. Maybe you're just checking Christianity out. I would encourage you today to meet the Savior. To surrender your life to Him. To trust the truth that He created you, that He knows you, and He has a life for you that is better than any you could create on your own. You can do that simply by calling out to Him. You say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need You. I've made a mess in my life. I'm a sinner. I trust you as my Savior. I want to sit at your table. Because if you just made that decision, we we want you to let us know. There's a few things you can do. You can fill out a card in the seat back in front of you. You can text the phrase, my decision to the number 94,000. We just want to celebrate with you. We want to sit with you. And again, you... Begin to help you walk through what those next steps might be in your life. But, but here's what I know. Is that many of us in this room, we're believers. And at one point we were sitting at the table. We actually were enjoying the life that God had called us to. Right? You're living out John 10.10. 10. But at some point you begin to buy into the lies that surround you. Maybe you invited the wrong people to the table. 
Maybe you just begin to envy what somebody else has. And you push back from the table. And you're not sitting there anymore. And so when people talk about having purpose and peace in life, as a follower of Jesus, secretly in your heart, you don't know what they're talking about. And today I would say that what you need to do is return to the table. Come back. Sit down again. Look into the eyes of your Savior. And watch a thousand problems disappear. Lord, we love you, thank you, and praise you. Hey, if you guys would go ahead and stand at your feet, here's what we're going to do. Maybe today you just want to come to the altar and you want to tell God, hey, I'm coming back. Maybe there's somebody you want to pray with. Our prayer team is going to come up front here and they're available for you. But I want you to respond as God leads you this morning.